Hey everybody, it's Josh from Sculpt. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Digital Live, the recordings from our monthly meetup for modern marketers. Let's Get Digital is coming back in 2020 with an epic lineup of speakers and topics. You're not gonna wanna miss this. If you haven't made it to an event yet, head to modmarketers.com to sign up for updates. That's modmarketers.com. Now, back to the show. Well, thank every, thank you all for coming to another Let's Get Digital. We've been doing these all year, and every single one is better than the next one, and I'm so excited for today. So first of all, give yourselves a round of applause for showing up today. <laughs> Let's Get Digital, for those that are new uh, to this event, is a monthly meetup for modern marketers. Modern marketers are digital marketers, people who care about uh, marketing that creates an impact. And one of the most important ways that we create an impact today is by generating content. Of course, we have to decide today if content is the king still, if content is queen. There's so many ways of describing uh, what works today. And I'm really excited to bring up our panelists who are gonna demystify this for us because the landscape has changed significantly and so our format is that we bring in three panelists to come and help tell us what's working, what's changing, and how you could apply this to your business. And we have a pretty all-star cast of people that we're uh, putting on the panel today that uh, I've personally known for some time and uh, I would pay to speak. And so luckily you all get to hear them for free today and they generously donated their time for the community. So let's go ahead and bring up our panelists. So come on up. So we, I, thought you might want to sit by the book. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Would you like to each hold a copy of Brand Now? This is a very formal event, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you all showing up. So how we get started is we like to learn a little bit about our speakers. And specifically, I would just say, Name, intro, how long have you been in content marketing or involved in content marketing? So you can start, Heather. Um, I'm Heather Stanley. I'm the marketing director at Geonetric. Um, I've been at Geonetric 12 years, so I feel like I've been doing content marketing that entire time. I don't know when officially content marketing became a term. But um, before that, I was a copywriter, so I think it just kind of was a natural transition. Uh, I'm Nick Westergaard. I was going to go with the same answer to the number of years, just because uh, I think so many things are are content. Uh, so I guess I would be at this for 18 years now. So, yeah. Okay, that is a good question. How long have people been using the word content marketing formally? It feels like certainly in the last decade, maybe the last seven, eight years. Yeah, I think there's some sort of timeline on it. I think Content Marketing Institute really nailed down the term mm, content true. marketing because uh, it was called a lot of different things. There's a, uh, actually that uh, the documentary, the story of content, that's where that uh, timeline, you can find that. And it walks through all of the different things, the soap opera history and all of that. It's been called a lot of different things, but I think that's when they decided to plant the flag and say content. Okay, we have an answer now. Uh, one of the things that I also like to do is 
get a feel for who you are in a unique way. And so I won't share mine because I'm just the moderator, but I would love to know if you have had, if you went deep in the archives, this is a question I asked a variation of in the past, what would be one of your first or sort of most fun or most forgotten, hopefully, blog or content projects you started? I feel like everyone here has a blog that they wish no one would surface. And uh, I'm really curious what yours was on. Me first? Or? I, Nick's ready to okay, go. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I, my blog, which is, it's, it's funny because it's taken on a lot of different forms, but it's basically still all been run out of the same WordPress deal all of that time. I'm sure you can go all the way back and find the very first entry from 2005 that is titled Hello Blogosphere. So, I, I, you know, there's about a paragraph that follows after that. And, uh, but I think the most important thing is that title. I think that is the way to date yourself. Hello yeah. Blogosphere. Hello Blogosphere. By the, Sorry. All right, everybody, let's give a quick round of applause to our speaker, Mariah. You were here just uh, in time for the embarrassing part of the panel, but we're going to let Heather go first. Um, okay, so back in, I want to say it was 07, 06, it was pre-flood. Uh, like that's how life in Cedar Rapids is determined. It's either pre or post flood. Um, but uh, Eric Engelman was on this. He was the former CEO of Geometric. Was on this big kick to like we got to retain all the cool people here. They're all going to Chicago. We got to stop them. So let's create a blog that's called Discover the Corridor. And I think Corridor was still kind of a newer term at the time. And so I constantly on the side because this was not my regular job had to write all this like things to do in Iowa City on Saturday and farmers market reports and things like that. So that was my first blog. Okay, not nearly as embarrassing. I was no, hoping, not but embarrassing. But uh, so give us a, a bit about yourself, Mariah. Uh, who are you? Uh, how long have you been in content marketing? And then tell us about the embarrassing blog project that you wish we weren't talking about. Excellent. Okay. All right, clearly I'm unfamiliar with Iowa City because I wandered around out there for like 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes trying to figure out where I was. Um, I am the Director of Content Services at Staymates. I've been there for nine months. Before that, I did a lot of work in the healthcare field, working at CarePro Home Medical Services in their marketing department in Cedar Rapids, and also at MedTouch, which is similar to Geonetric in a lot of ways. So um, they hate when we say that, but it's true. <laughs> Not we, the former we. Anyway. Uh, let's see, embarrassing blog content. I have worked with a lot of different organizations over the years. Um, I think maybe some of the most embarrassing content was not necessarily embarrassing for me as it was for some of the interviewees. Last year, working with a client out in Washington, D.C., we did a series on vasectomy and adult male circumcision, which I was the host of the podcast at that time, and the doctor was like, I don't know if I want to talk to you about this. But we just launched right into talking about, you know, penises for two hours. And it was fine. It was fine. We're all professionals, but he was wildly uncomfortable. Okay. You win. You win. Yes. <laughs> Hat tip. I have a son, you know. That's fine. All right. Well, I think we're done here. Uh, well, so on a somehow related note, I'd like to understand your philosophy in content marketing with as few words as possible. Because I think the word content marketing, as we just talked about, 
uh, has a history and could mean different things, but because it applies to almost all of us, one that I've heard that I will share to start is the easiest way to understand content marketing or the value of it is uh, when they ask, you answer. So this philosophy of to be really good at content marketing, answer the people's questions that they have in their head, and the more you can do that effectively in whatever medium it is, you know, the more successful you'll be. So what has been a content marketing philosophy you use or that you would use to describe it? Um, who, has, who has one? Um, I kind of, it's short is so what? Like, I think that you have to be unique. You have to be adding to the conversation with a unique perspective. So just because you can write about something doesn't mean you should if you're not in somehow, you know, just bringing some new perspective to it. So whenever we want to tackle something, I'm, it's always like, so what? What are we bringing to the conversation? Uh, I like the definition philosophy from content rules, share or solve, don't shill. I think with content, we talk a lot about the formats and the things that we're making. And that's why I think when we talk about dating back how long we've been in content marketing, I think it existed before it was called content marketing because it was really about selling that helps people instead of focuses on selling the thing. Absolutely. I, I think Heather and Nick both are spot on on that. I would just add thinking about the media that you're working in. So it doesn't always have to be, okay, content marketing equals blog equals social media. It can be podcast. It can be print. We do that a lot at Steamates. It can be any media. Just thinking about what your audience wants to consume and how they want to consume it. So for those that are getting started in content marketing or maybe even deeper in the practice, I'm really curious uh, in, in however you want to answer it, I like to always have something that you should be starting to do and something that you should also stop doing. So what comes to mind as a content marketing practice or strategy that is obviously working so they should continue to, or start doing it if they're not already, and as well as something that they should not do anymore? Um, starting, I would say a couple things come to mind. One is um, get marketed to like I if you if there's a brand out there that you think does a good job like sign up for their newsletter download their stuff see what their thank you emails look like how many times do you go to their site before somebody calls you <laughs> like just you know really find marketing that you like and inspires you and then see how other great marketers market um, I think that's great do it to your competitors sign up for their stuff what are they saying and how are they solving things um, how often do they email their prospects if they don't filter you out of their emails, which they don't that often? Um, and then I guess the other thing is, is really be thinking about how you're aligning your content to the buying cycle. If you're not doing that, it's, you know, whether it's ebooks or blogs or videos, just making sure you're really creating content that you can, that consumers can continue to consume as they move from awareness to purchase. Uh, something to start doing, uh, some sort of system for kind of related to that and signing up for things, an idea capture system, uh, something where you can log all of those good ideas that you're getting, that you're seeing from the list that you're signed up for, that you're seeing out on the ped mall, uh, somewhere else. In terms of things to stop doing, uh, something that someone else is doing just for the sake of doing it because they've got one, I think we need one. And it sounds like, oh, we'd never do that, but it, it happens a lot. You know that Nick works in marketing because he just rebranded the notebook as an, an idea, idea capture, capture system. system. <laughs> you know, it could be, it could be high tech, it could be Evernote, it could be, yeah. I, I'm 
I go analog with that. So. I love that. I'm going to start calling my notebooks going analog and see if that works. Um, I think something to start doing, definitely mentoring, and that's either up or down in your food chain at work. I, I mentor people that have been there for 30 years just because what I do is different from what they've done, but I'm also learning a lot of things from the undergrads and, and things that are coming out of college that we hire every spring. So always be open to learning, I guess, and always be open to teaching. One thing I would suggest not doing is the day-by-day, post-by-post analytics banging your head against the wall thing. I've been talking with teams a lot about that and with clients a lot about that. We have a, an ongoing project where the manager of this project is going in every day manually to every platform and writing down how many likes, clicks, whatever happened on each post instead of going through you know, in a month and looking at a trend. She's really like driving herself nuts. So stop making yourself crazy. You have enough to be worried about. I forgot, stop. What would you stop doing? Um, Focusing on just on new content, I think we overlook a lot going back at your high-performing content and um, finding out ways to reshare it or, you know, update links to it or use high-authority pages on your site, you know, to link to lower-authority pages. And so just you have so much content out there. If you just leave it, it goes stagnant. So to go back and revisit that. Mm -hmm. Especially if you've written, like, the top tips for 2012. You know, that's either like <laughs> a... a cut it off right now or repurpose it truthfully though right. I, I, we've actually seen the biggest wins from an SEO perspective that way we have to yeah uh, other question I like to ask a lot just to be really tactical for those in the audience that are working in the space is what in your perspective is an overrated content marketing practice something that people talk about a lot that you're hearing a lot that someone if they were googling this would find pretty quickly that's overrated in your perspective in terms of its performance or how it, how, it, how it works, and then an underrated tactic, something that may be similar to the, what people should start doing, but that people don't talk about enough, if you have another one. Um, this probably isn't gonna be popular with the panel, but and personally, I think podcasting is a little overrated, at least for my industry. So um, I feel like we're, we're not a huge team, so we have to do do what you do well. Don't spread yourself thin putting out media, mediocre content just because there's a new channel out there that everybody's jumping on because your consumer only or your audience only has so much time to spend researching these things. So I think figure out where they are and be where they are and then create great content for that channel. Um, we do a ton of customer and client interviews, so I've probably sat in like 100 over the last couple of years and I asked them, where do you find your information? Where do you go when you research? When you have a problem, what's your next step? Where do you go? And not once have I heard one say a podcast. So for us, that's just not probably where our audience is. That doesn't mean that's where other are. I mean, I follow three podcasts, and I can barely keep up with the amount of content things. I couldn't even find time to listen to more. But I think that's a good, actually a good answer. And then being a, a podcaster my, myself, I, I think it's it's hard because I think it's getting all the attention right now at the same time when the space is changing dramatically. I think even more than blogging and video before it, I think there's huge players, major networks that are getting involved, celebrities, uh, that there's a whole lot of crazy noise in in the podcasting space. I don't know if I would start one right now had I not. Um, you heard it here first. Podcasts are dead. 
No, no. No, no, don't say that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, More people should transcribe their podcast show notes, I'd say, is probably an easy win. But that goes for video uh, as well. I think it's easy to forget about important things like SEO that don't go away with each new emerging content format. I think I'm going to go opposite and slightly different. I, I would agree that podcasts get a lot of hype right now. I think that Nick's answer kind of was dovetailing into what I was going for is the strategy behind podcasts is really underrated. So we never, I won't say never, we rarely ever will post just a podcast and have no other collateral along with it. We always make sure we have an image of some sort with a call to action. We almost always make sure we have a transcript and we put it out over a bunch of different media. So I think you can't just put something out and expect people to listen. Um, that's, That's the strategy for that. You look like you're going to say something. Uh, I was going <laughs> to add on to that because, like, you talk about the many tentacles of the thing that we mm-hmm. call a podcast. Uh, Tom Webster with uh, Edison Research posted a big, long kind of state of the union about podcasting because he has measured it for, for years and years. But he talked about what this, about the labels, which are confusing because the podcast is a very specific output. And he talked about having a, what he was calling a show, that is the content itself that is then delivered as a podcast, but that a lot of people are watching things that they're calling podcasts on YouTube, and by what is the traditional definition of a podcast, that's not a podcast. So it's really following this show that has tentacles in lots of different formats. Absolutely. I think the I think one of the things that's really overrated, and we cycled through this over the last year at Staymates too, not only internally but with our clients, is that giant push from about ten years ago for the quantity of what you're doing over the quality. We have, and so we do B two B. We're a little bit different at Staymates, along with our B two C stuff, but. For B2B, definitely, we have cut back about 50% in the amount of content that we're producing just from summer because we were finding that we were getting big hits and big spikes, but no follow-through and no subscriptions. In fact, we were losing subscriptions. So we did that test. We're done with that. And now we're focusing back again on quality. Well, that was actually my next question, a good follow-up, which is people ask about frequency or cadence a lot. You know, How much content should I create? And certainly, this is an answer that needs a lot of context depending on the audience, the channel, the brand. But what's your go-to advice, you know, your recommendations for people when they're getting started or at a, at a certain scale that you think is effective, the general rules you would follow about how much to be producing when you have a show or you're creating kind of like a show like uh, version of talking to your audience? Um, I always think like, as often as you have something unique to say. Like, I I think if you get yourself on a schedule where it's like, I have to have a blog post every week, you're forcing crap out sometimes just to meet a schedule. And never in my life have I had somebody come and be like, geez, I was waiting for that blog on Friday and it didn't come. Like, they don't notice when you post, right? Like, they're they're looking for your content when they're looking to solve a problem. Um, We do, though, obviously have editorial calendars and we kind of work on monthly and quarterly goals and we try to have everything feed up to our main hubs. So we try to be constantly thinking about creating new content for each of those hubs all the time because as you're creating new content, you're really getting more depth on your site, you're be, you know, improving your domain authority, those types of things. So we kind of have clusters, we call it like topic clusters or content pillars 
that are your main services and then under that you can have subtopics and the subtopics might be worthy of a blog and then the higher up you go towards the content pillar maybe it's worth the ebook so kind of seeing where where that um, just how much attention you should give to each asset. We do do webinars on a monthly schedule, but we don't worry about what day it is because it's just, I mean, Wednesdays tend to work better. We watch analytics. We definitely know like what time, what day people um, are most often to come. But so many people uh, just sign up and watch the recording. You know, it's really turned to on demand. So it forces us to create that content every month, but whether they're actually consuming that content on our schedule is, is not, you know, different. You know, I am reminded of the, the Ron Swanson quote of uh, not half-assing multiple things when you could whole-ass one. And I, I think that that's really, especially when you're dealing with, I mean, the thing I've learned in, uh, in I have the, the book that's not here, which is called Get Scrappy, um, I thought Initially, that that was mostly small organizations, but in talking about scrappiness all over the place, I've learned that everybody is struggling. Nobody has all of the resources, all of the people, all of the budget, all of the time, all of the, the whatever. So you have to make decisions and focus. And I think sometimes it's easier to not make decisions and to kind of just keep the crap a-cranking. And, uh, it, it, and, and it feels like you're doing something. It feels really good. But when you step back and look at it and see that I'm just publishing because it's Wednesday uh, and it's not connected with the buying cycle or with something else on the, on the audience's side of things. So I, I think especially at a moment where everything is changing and no one has the resources that they need, you can't afford to not focus. Yep, I think I second both of those things. You have to look at it too by platform. So if you're doing a podcast, clearly those will take more production than maybe just the 300 word, 500 word article, whatever that might be. So if you're doing something like that and you're putting it out there like Nick suggested, like a series or a show, you want to stay on a regular cadence because you could develop that following where they are anticipating what you're putting out there. Um, you know, everybody won't, most people won't, but it's a thing that could happen. As far as uh, like LinkedIn would be different than Facebook and Twitter would be different than Pinterest or whatever that might be. So just think about how often you're consuming content as a consumer and looking at your analytics like Heather suggested. When are people on? What are they looking at? And how often are they consuming these things? One thing that we did that kind of changed the way we thought about like pushing content out was a lot of drip campaigns. I don't know if you guys do that as well. But um, as, so, you know, we have all this great content, let's say, around content marketing. And so you have all these, you know, you know what your high-performing blog posts are, you know what your high-performing ebooks are, this webinar, this on-demand video, this checklist, whatever. And we kind of set it up to drip out over three months. So if somebody comes to our site and they engage with the content and they either sign up to get more content on content marketing or based on their behavior, we see that they're interested in that, um, they get put into a drip where so now it's like oh that person's taken care of for three months and then as new content is developed it gets dynamically added onto the end of that drip if we choose to put it on there if we think it's a high performer so that's kind of been a new way that you know just because that post has been on your site for a year doesn't mean that person's ever experienced it so you can kind of put them on a path that also follows a buying cycle or what you think their customer journey is going to be and kind of help them move from awareness content for a while. If they engage with it, then you can start sending them 
consideration content and kind of move them through. I love that. Yeah, it's just the idea of instead of how often you publish, it's how often you can they can see it that they're you're being in front of them, which you could do through paid retargeting. You can do through an email journey. That's really smart. Okay, so I promise we're going to give away two books. Uh, so who has a burning question that's popped up about content marketing that you want answered from this group of individuals? What comes to mind? You're getting a book out of it too. All right, here we go. So there's, there, but when you can pull up any topic at all on YouTube, and it comes from the very polished person sitting there with, in the, like you all are doing very nicely, or somebody sitting behind a, 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 a kitchen table going, well, this is what I think. And everyone's saying, it doesn't really matter the setting, it's the quality of what you're doing and what you're putting out there. Uh, so if you have a, a young company with, with li a little amount of revenue or income, resources to put towards something, is it worth, worth going to pay TV and working, working in their studio to get something uh, quality product-wise versus do people, as your experience, that people will look past the quality of the presentation for the quality of, of what you're talking about? Can I jump in on this one? We talked about this at Content Marketing World. Uh, I think, especially depending on what audience you're trying to reach, so if you're looking for that younger audience or that, um, you know, trying to be involved in something or trying to experience something, for a lot of products, at least when you're talking to millennials and, and younger, we're looking for experiences, we're looking for what does this thing do for me or what does this service do for me, not necessarily like who is this person in the suit, you know, telling me knowledgeably that this is what I should think. and so especially in the B2B world, if you can humanize what you're doing and humanize that brand. So last week we had a big team out at, in Las Vegas at this show called IMEX. It's for uh, travel destination um, agencies and things like that. So that's one of our big business lines at Staymates. We run Meetings Today magazine. We had one of our gals who is primarily a writer. She does a lot of digital strategy stuff. She's awesome. But we put her on the spot and had her do a video with Topgolf. We just grabbed the CEO and said, hey, do you want to come over and talk to Danielle? We're going to talk about this thing and shoot some, you know, I, I suck at golf. I don't know. Shoot, what do you call it? Shoot a hole? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to swing this golf club and try to hit a ball. And she did it. And she was so cute. And she was so personable. And everybody loved it. And that was one of our highest performing videos. We do have a lot of those, like, sig and astute videos where we're talking about very important things. And they'll get occasional views. But this is one that can be evergreen. I mean, people will be watching this for months wondering, you know, hey, I'm going to be in Vegas. I want to go to Top Golf. you know. I think there's two sides of the question, too, because I think one is the production aspect of does it need to be decent quality video and, and can you hear it? And I think that's different than the quality, or I don't even think quality is the right word, of, of the setting. Because you can have a lot of different, you know, it can be uh, in a studio, person in a suit. It can be, again, out in the ped mall, uh, out there doing something. I, I think they're kind of different different, uh, different areas to, to look at. I mean, I, I do think on the quality side of it, people need to be able to hear and see and follow. I think there's a lot of different ways to deliver uh, that authentic experience. I always think of, for some reason, Rand Fishkin and like Whiteboard Friday was coming to mind for that question. Like, 
look how much he did just standing in front of a whiteboard. Now, you had to be able to hear it for sure, and it's still, I mean, I don't know what he taped that on, but, like, those were just quick hits. He had something unique to say, so I think their content, you know, he wasn't in a studio. He wasn't dressed up. It was kind of off the cuff, very humanizing. Um, but at the same time, I think it's like, what do you sell? Like, I think you have more forgiveness, too, for, like, a car dealer out with his iPhone showing you the latest Traverse versus, like, someone you're going to hire to produce provider videos for you or something. Like, I think you got to kind of see what, what are you selling to. Well, and another way to look at this in terms of content creation, uh, Daniel Pink has a video series called The Pink Casts, and uh, it's like 90-second videos, and he started out just probably shooting them with whatever camera was in his computer, and they were lower quality, and now that he's got an established plan for them, and he probably saw that it works and people watch these, and it's a a great vehicle for him, uh, there's uh, more of a quality production happening there. It's still in his home office, so it's still that same kind of authentic feel, but he's up the quality a little bit there. That's a great point. We do a lot of MVP, like get something out in the market, see how people interact with it, and then invest a bunch of time in it. If you can invent, invest a bunch of time in something and no one ever downloads it. So, you know, it doesn't have to be in this hugely nicely designed asset. You know, first get it out there, let it start performing, and then you can invest more. Here, here. I'm curious about the tools that you guys use, because everyone always asks about this too. And of course, I, you don't need great tools and technology to be successful at content marketing, so we can just put an end to that now. But people do like to know, walk away with a new app, practice, tool, um, idea capture device that they can use to level up their skills. And I'm really curious what, what are the content marketing specific tools that you swear by that help you level up your, uh, your own practice uh, day to day? You know, things that you'd swear by that you'd recommend other people try to make better content. There's some scheduling tools that I really like. These aren't necessarily specific to content marketing, but they sure make my life a lot easier. Is Calendly is, is the one that I really focus on. You guys probably all know what that is, but I thought it was really awesome when I found out about it this summer. Um, I was a little bit turned off by like, here's this link, schedule time with me because I can't look at my calendar, I'm so busy. But it really has worked out nicely for busy executives that we work with because their admins or whatever can just look at it and say, all right, everybody's free at this time and just plug it away and no more of that, you know, 10 emails back and forth. Um, another a software tool, I guess you would call it software, that we use often with our uh, staff. So we're stationed all across the country. We've got people all over the place. We use OneDrive a lot. Does anybody use OneDrive? See, I had never used it before this year. I was just like a diehard Google Drive person. But we found that so many people were comfortable with Word, and it has all of that functionality and all the functionality of PowerPoint and Excel just really uh, kind of life-changing for our team that was consistently uploading and downloading documents all the time with clients. Uh, I feel like it's the joke answer now in terms of tools, but I, I in terms of my idea capture system would be uh, an analog notebook, but my uh, digital form of that would be Evernote, and I, I'm a huge fan, and it's uh, a pretty low-rent tool. It's one of those that I feel like I should be paying for, uh, and I'm somehow not, so go Evernote. Um, I'm a big fan of Trello. I don't know if anybody here uses oh, yeah. that. It's mm -hmm. I. You can buy all these crazy editorial calendars, or it's kind of like a 
digital notebook. Um, but it's idea capture. System. Idea capture. I couldn't think DM. of it while I was DM. looking at you. <laughs> but um, it's free. It's easy to share. You can invite lots of people to it. Um, and we do a lot of cross team editorial calendar meetings. Like monthly, I'll meet with like the other like service line director kind of for, within your own organization. And we can just, like, I can constantly be adding ideas as they come up. They can be adding ideas. And so we kind of have a backlog of ideas. And then each month we sit and we look through them and we, hey, which one do you guys want to tackle if you have capacity? And it's a place where teams can go and see a list. And um, if they end up having a little bit of time and they want to write a blog post, they can look at this list and find something they're passionate about and use it as kind of a stepping off place to go start researching. Has anyone here used Otter? Otter.ai, you familiar with that tool? I was just going to mention that because early on at one of these, one of your um, oh, you employees about that? told me about it and it was just life changing yes. for me. It's because I've made every single person in our company download it because uh, it's basically a tool, uh, a voice capture tool that automatically transcribes everything you say. Oh, in real I think time. I love you now. I've been looking for something uh, like that. <laughs> I found it to be really helpful for everything from those casual meetings where you're maybe you're driving or maybe you're. It, talking with someone, you want to record that entire conversation, or you have an interview and it's uh, it's on a meeting. A lot of tools for that, but that, that's one that I, I think I found really useful for those quick. Otter, O T T E R dot A I. I don't know what the A I part is, but there's an A I part probably. Uh, okay, we have time for one more question. So who has one? Okay, we got one more. I think you've made a lot of recommendations around you know put it out there start small, um, make these uh, kind of iterative changes. What, um, at what point do you cut your losses or change direction when you're trying those things? And how long do you approach a single topic until you realize that maybe nobody's interested in that or you're, you're really just having to pivot? When, what does that pivot decision look like? Okay. I think as far as I'm going to start big and go down small, but I think for a full program, if you're just starting a content marketing program, I always advise six to 12 months because it is that like cumulative thing. Everybody says marathon instead of a sprint and all of that. But if you're if you're tracking everything and making changes on the fly, you can usually tell within six months if you're doing something right or if you need to make changes. I think for topical things, you can tell that within a couple of weeks to months, depending on what it is. Um, and I think some of the things that you want to look for is, are we saying things differently than everybody else? What unique perspective do we have on this? And are we coming across as credible, but also friendly and keeping that balance? So looking at things like time on page and deeper into pages, how far down people are scrolling, what they're clicking on on the page. Um, you know, If you can get any kind of search data on what they're doing on your site too, that can be helpful. But really, I think a lot of it is just going to be listening and watching. I agree with that timeline. I don't know that I'd make any decision at the program level in less than six months. I, I always say content marketing is a long-term play. Like, if you want to get immediate results, you're running ads. You're, it's, it's something different. So this is something you want to be out there. You want to give people a chance to be um, engaging with it. But I'd say before you are putting out content, if you're not sure if it's going to resonate, like be talking to your client, current clients and be talking to your customers. So because you, you should be picking topics that you've heard are something that they need. Like it shouldn't just be something random that you're like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if people engage with this. Like it's it's problems you've heard come up from your maybe it's your project managers or you go to a conference or you follow a listserv. 
and you, you see the same types of questions and nobody has a good answer or you start collecting all those answers into something else. So hopefully you've done a bit of research in the front end that it, it's got a gap, a content gap that it's filling and then you give it six to 12 months to see if it performs. Yeah, those are great answers. Uh, I, I think a lot of this also comes down to measurement, which is one of those tricky questions to dig into because it's also very dependent on what program you're running, what the goal of it is. But at the very least, we could summarize as, you know, if you have a core metric that you're laddering back to, in six to 12 months, this seems like a reasonable time to see if you're tracking against it. Uh, I like that answer a lot. What are, as a thinking forward, if we were taking, if we were in this same room three years in the future, I'm really curious how, uh, content marketing we think is going to change. And maybe we could take the perspective of what do we see happening over the next year that people should have on their radars? Because it's hard to think three years in the future, frankly, but 10 things in the next year tend to be laddering up to what is going to change in the next three years. So what are you excited by that you'd want to have on uh, everyone's radar from a content marketing perspective over the next year and then three years? Um, me personally, I'm really excited about account-based marketing. Um, been doing a ton of research around that and testing out some of that. So it's kind of following that same buying cycle, but doing it by, based on role. So your executive stakeholder, your VP, is going through a buying cycle as well, but very different than your day-to-day, -day, than your manager, director levels. And so trying to figure out ways to take content and change it and make it more valuable based on the role within the organization. And then, um, I don't know, some organizations that do that well, I think it's just kind of, I, I forget, it was like, they sent something to our CEO and they sent something to a project manager and then I got something and we all got different stuff and it was like, whoa, and then all of a sudden your CEO is like, hey, I got this thing, you should look at it. And you're like, well, that's not even that interesting of a thing, but like, well played marketer. And so like trying to steal that idea, or not steal, but you know, iterate on it, see how can this work for us. That's personally what I'm interested in, but that's probably a lot of B2B. I think also like as an industry, there's gonna be a little bit of a change from I think content marketing gets really focused on individual pieces of content, and I think there's a shift to more like a content experience. And so as one consumer, you know, if they read a blog and they download an asset, and then all of a sudden your chat bot's talking to them, and then they come to a webinar, and then your sales guy calls them, like, is all that content, you know, really living your brand, and is are they creating one one experience and then after they become a client I think that's a, a place that we don't think about content marketing once they become a client how are you continuing to to deliver an exceptional experience to them and you know get them to be advocates for your brand and, and re retain them as clients yeah I think kind of building on that this larger content experience and I also think that there's so much content and it's so noisy and the big players are doubling down in a big menacing way, especially in areas like podcasting. So I think there's going to start to be a real divide and some of the, it's, it's going to really create a difference between some of the A game content. And I don't really want to say B game content because I think it'll be significantly lower. So I think at a time when it seems like it can't get any harder, I think it's going to get a lot harder not to produce content, but to produce results with content. 
Yep, totally. And I think with the advent of AI, for the last couple of years at all the conferences I've been at, everybody is all worried that we're, you know, we're, they're going to do a South Park on us, like they took our jobs or whatever. <laughs> they're, it's going to take some of that stuff off my plate is the way I'm looking at it. Like I will have more time to take take the outline and take the stuff that it crapped out to me and make it into something like Nick was saying, make it into AA com a game content. Um, I think we're also going to see a shift in focusing just on cranking out piece after piece after piece and making those strategies, but also looking at things like search marketing and Google snippets. We had, did an internal presentation um, last week where all of our salespeople had a heart attack because Staymates has historically done a lot of digital advertising like in the magazine world and in the online magazine world, and people are buying less of those because they can go to Facebook and Google directly and buy that stuff and get it cheaper. So what we're looking at is, um, helping clients with strategies to get SEO optimization up to par so they can get those rich snippets on Google where they can be that trusted resource and getting to that level. And where does that content live? On their website. So even if people aren't going there, they're still relating that name and that URL and that imagery with that organization. And when they're ready, it will be top of mind and they will go there. So we're working on our clients and our internal teams to really understand that whole cycle, that whole journey like Heather was talking about. I'm surprised we went in a whole panel without talking about voice search somehow. This is like a pretty incredible. Uh, that is, uh, oh, let's do one speed round thing. One speed round thing is I want to know what is one person you'd recommend to follow for more inspiration, more advice, more resources that you trust, that you think is, a, is an incredible content marketer that maybe is not so well known or is you know, one of those underrated people or just one of those extremely useful names. They may or may not be an author. They may or not, may or not have bought books. Nick Westergaard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that was not teeing that up. So <laughs> what, what, who comes to mind for each of you? Well, you talked about voice. Uh, Jeff Roars, uh, who used to be with a company called Yext and wrote a book called Audience. Uh, is a great thinker on that very topic. So if that's one that we didn't address, uh, go find Jeff Roars, R-O-H-R-S. I also have a Jeff recommendation. Jeff Julian, he's out of Kansas City. He's just a real cool dude. He's kind of a hippie. He does a lot of uh, photography. He does a lot of development, just kind of all over the place. His big scene is podcast right now, developing those. And he's been doing this for years and years before it was cool. Um, I'd say kind of go back maybe a little old school, but like Anne Hadley for like content rules. Like if you haven't read that book, I'd read that book. Um, Joe, how do you, you probably know how to say his name because I know you're involved in content marketing world. Paluzzi? Paluzzi. I knew yeah. I was going to say it wrong. Um, like Epic Content Marketing I think would be a great launch. But there's a ton of great books out there. Um, that's kind of how I got started reading about it and learning. Awesome. I love all of those. Well, let's thank our panel for showing up today and volunteering their time. These folks are so busy, and uh, when they're not here, they're writing about the thing that they do. And so I look forward to the content pieces they'll hopefully write about this experience. Uh, thank you all for showing up. Seriously, we, we could not do this without people showing up live, watching the recordings after, and deciding that this is something worthwhile to do. Uh, feel free to connect with the speakers afterwards if you have more questions. But otherwise, uh, stay tuned to the, the email list, social, all of our content because we'll be sharing what the next dates and the next plan for Let's Get Digital is. As long as you guys keep showing up, we're going to keep doing them. Uh, quick shout out and thank you to the Sculpt team for putting these on and really making these happen. 
We super, super appreciate you. And we'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much. Thank you.